0: Hello, it's the golden number three, that's right people, welcome to the third episode of Points of Information, the debater association of Victoria's podcast aimed at our school's competition debaters, where we discuss all things debate related. Hi everyone, I am Alexander, I am the DAV's media and publications officer, we have a few familiar voices here tonight, firstly that of our Vice President of Adjudication and Training, Mitchell. Hello again.
1: Alexander, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's great to be back.
0: Another familiar voice you will hear is that of our General Secretary, Elmira. Hello again.
2: Hi, I'm back.
0: And finally, we have an awesome new voice. Now, this guy, you won't have heard him before. He is one of the nicest, gentlest giants out there. It is Jesse Heath.
3: Um, Thank you so much for that lovely description. (laughs) Uh, It's a pleasure to be here, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. So, here
0: we are. It is nearly the end of the debating season. We are not in our normal location. We are in the middle of Corfield, round 5. It's one of the last round 5s to occur. It's the end of the season. What do we think? How do we how did it go down?
1: Well, it's been a very exciting year and as always there's been some fantastic topics and amazing debates and some topics and debates that didn't go so well but that's good because it gives us an opportunity to talk about them and use it as a learning exercise
3: for people going forward um yeah i would agree with that consensus i've seen a range of skills and a range of topics that i've enjoyed got some favorites that i'd love to share in a moment but yeah it's been a mixed bag this year but for the most part i think it's been a really successful year of debating
2: yeah i reckon every topic had its own potential. I think it just really depends how the children define it. I think that this year was a lot about looking at definitions and whether models were effective and how that defined the debate.
3: On that, Amirad, can you like highlight or do you, Mitchell, have any particular favourite topics from the year, any that stood out? Well, I mentioned in the first podcast that I liked the sweatshop topic, which goes back a fair way into A grade. But
1: beyond that, a few of the secret topics that most people listening probably wouldn't have been exposed to have really jumped out at me. There was One recently, that Children Do Not Understand the World, which surprised a lot of people. But that made for a very interesting debate that I saw uh, between two very, very good teams that I think both will go through to finals. So that's one that stands out to me. The Jurassic Park one that a few rounds also got, that resulted in some very interesting and fun debates. I had one the other night where, again, both sides went really hard at it and did a great job. So from my point of view, it's been the secret topics that have sometimes been a little bit unexpected, but have resulted in some outstanding debates.
0: I feel like the secret topics are fundamentally different in the the way they are debated, there is obviously no hard evidence beyond what is something that is so obviously easy to remember. You know, e equals MC squared. Well, of course, everyone remembers that, which I think sometimes makes some of the secret topics uh, well, very I always, interesting.
1: I always say it's back to basics mm. when we do mm. secret topics. It's not about who can print off stuff from google and wikipedia and recite it back at us and yes we know that you do that it's about going back to basics what actually makes a really good argument how do you build rebuttal there was a simple topic that i think was given in a grade a couple of rounds ago that we should ban violent video games it's a topic we've used at primary school level and jsp we brought it out at a grade and it was really good because as i said to the teams it's a simple topic we know what we're talking about it's not a complicated industrial relations matter and what that means is that you can show me how you actually build a good argument. What are the logical steps that you have to follow? So that's really good. That's what I like to see. Back to basics, get the basics right.
3: One of my favourite topics that I saw this year, it was a bit of a curveball. I'd never seen a topic like this, but it was a topic that we should ban gift giving, which was given to some A graders at Ivanhoe, And I had the pleasure of seeing two teams that were this was probably going to be the last debate that they were going to give in year 12 and they were both really really good and they both gave a really beautiful debate full of great phrases motive appeals and really well crafted sentences as Mitchell said, it's not necessarily always about going back to the basics, but I think, but also knowing what you do well. And I think some of these speakers knew that they could really target the heartstrings and really play on people's emotions and really engage the audience through the man- their manner. And that was really powerful to see. And yeah, it was a really, it was probably one of the best debates I've seen in the last two or three years.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, I saw the same topic. And uh, in one of the particular debates, I saw one of the teams chose to do a definitional challenge on gifts. So... That's not the best outcome because if you have a definitional challenge that's unnecessary, it means we're having a debate about the definition rather than a debate about the topic that was set. So that's why we say if the affirmative side defines the topic reasonably, please don't challenge it. The goal of debating is actually to disagree, not to try and shut the other side out of the debate or to try and set up a definition that's so complicated that you automatically win the debate.
3: I feel like that's a really nice segue into talking about some of our least favorite topics from this year or topics (laughs) that, let's say, had potential, but that potential was not fulfilled. Uh, Do we have any examples that we can think of? Oh,
2: yeah. So I recently got a secret topic at round five, and it was that humanity, in essence, is good. And so I feel like the affirmative team sort of just threw a very curvy ball. They they defined it with the Oxford Dictionary, and so the word humanity didn't become the average reasonable person's definition of, oh, just collectively people on earth. It it became the quality of being humane and sort of changed the direction of the debate completely because the negative team was quite confused.
0: Yes, look, I will definitely say any time I hear the words according to the Oxford or according to the Cambridge Dictionary in a definition, internally I am dying a little because they always end up being some of the least effective definitions it's not a case of saying what are the parameters of the debate it's always a case of just being oh we know what this word means which isn't the point of a definition and it inevitably ends up being two teams arguing about things that really should have been set in the definition and it's always annoying when you see you know a good topic or two good teams getting hung up by this issue that should be fixed by the third speaker
3: I think that's a problem that I seen recently as well with the rise of empirical debates. I think we saw a lot more empirical topics this year, um, topics that didn't require necessarily a definition or didn't require that level of detail or a model. And students really struggled, especially in the later rounds, to try and address some of the bigger issues and questions and then really respond to the opposing teams as well in terms of their um, arguments and their ideas.
1: Yes, really good point. And uh, that leads into the C grade round five topic that too many people go to university. So in a number of instances, people were trying to bring in models and say, under our model, we're gonna funnel more people into TAFE or whatever. The debate's not about that. Whenever you get a debate topic, always think about what is the central question of this debate? And the central question is simply, do too many people go to university or not? It really is that simple. So when you add in a model, it's a waste of time and takes time away from you answering that question. But also I had a team that said, well, hang on, Why did the other side win the debate? Because they didn't have a model. I had to again point out that it's an empirical debate and therefore you don't have a model. So make sure that you check the sort of topic that it is. You actually don't need a model in any sort of debate. They can be effective. They're not arguments. But just be aware that the model is not the be-all and end-all. And increasingly in some topics, you won't need a model if it's just proving a statement true or false. And another topic I'd like to mention is the refugees topic in D-grade, which was a challenging topic and I saw some outstanding debates on that some teams that really rose to the challenge of taking on a more challenging topic at that level but also there were some problematic debates and that largely came down to debates where the negative side didn't sufficiently negate the affirmative side so make sure that you always have enough room between what the affirmative side is saying and what you're saying. If you're just agreeing with the affirmative side all the time, it's a recipe for disaster in debating.
3: I agree. I saw that topic as well. And I saw it really well done at Watsonia. So shout out to that region. And I think, yeah, it, that was a case where the negative team were able to respond effectively to the affirmative team and suggest that that there was a range of other benefits or a range of other programs in place that might be beneficial to refugees, uh, first and foremost, before we consider giving them full access to welfare. So I think that. That they were able to suggest that there might be a need, but the solution being provided isn't that often the best for that particular group, um, which I thought was a really interesting idea and one that they explained and explored really well.
2: I think that a, a big challenge for the affirmative teams was that a lot of the time they were really good at forming arguments as to why we should help refugees, but they didn't really talk about what full access actually meant. And because that was never defined, it was always quite difficult for the affirmative team to pull through because we didn't actually know what benefits they were putting on the table.
1: And if I can just add one more point as well, and that's about responsiveness. So affirmative sides in this debate had a tendency to talk about the challenges that refugees had gone through and then also do that at second speaker. But the problem with that argument was the first negative speaker had conceded that yes, refugees have gone through a lot of challenges. So second speaker, make sure that you listen to what the other side have said on the topic and don't say a whole bunch of things that actually just agrees with the other side again tell us why you're on the right side of the argument.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think it was said recently that some of the worst words to start your speech with is we completely agree with the opposing team. <laughs> <But..."> yes, which <laughs> happened in
1: one of my debates,
3: yeah. Look, I understand how that happens, but I think this leads into a nice good discussion in terms of what we thought generally was done well. Is there any particular debates beyond topics that we thought were particularly important or particularly interesting? Were there any particular stand performances or anything that we saw from debating this year that upon review we think was particularly noteworthy Well, I'll
1: say I've seen a lot of teams in the last few weeks that have been in contention for finals because, as everyone knows, in round five, we do what's called power pairing. we set up debates where teams are against another team that's had a similar number of wins to them. So they're always very close debates. And I've seen some outstanding debates where it's been right down to the wire. It's been down to issues around responsiveness. Everyone has presented effectively. Everyone's had great structure. And it largely comes down to which side is better at dealing with the issues. And They're the debates that I tend to enjoy the most as an adjudicator because it keeps you on the edge of your seat. You're constantly listening and paying a lot of attention. That's really what a lot of finals debates tend to be like, where there's backwards and forwards. Anyone could win it until almost right down to the very end. So the debates where there's lots of responsiveness, lots of engagement between the sides are the debates that I personally tend to enjoy the most.
3: One particular debate that I saw that I think was really notable from all the debates that I've seen across the year, and I've seen a lot, was that we should pursue immortality. It was a case where we had, again, around five, two power-paired teams. And although there was a clear difference between the two in terms of their capabilities and their skills, it was an absolute pleasure to see one particular team being able to explore and analyze that issue um, very thoroughly. They were able to present quite a lot of heady intellectual ideas. But for someone who doesn't have a philosophy major, they were able to make that very accessible. So they were able to raise that idea, explain its relevance, link it back to the topic and demonstrate why pursuing immortality would potentially be destructive to the human race and potentially problematic to our ideas of what it means to be human.
0: I think you touched on something there that I certainly found. It was the welfare system debate that refugees should have full access to the Australian welfare system. But there was one of the grade teams did it really well and it was that whole making it accessible thing. There's a lot of really complicated ideas in some of the topics and I... I've seen that topic, of course, a lot of times and sometimes they really didn't know what the welfare system was or how it worked in its existing form and they were arguing, trying to change it and it really showed that they didn't know what they were talking about and there was a team that came forward and were very clear about what it did existing, what it was already doing and how they were going to change it and they were very clear about that and it was easily one of the best debates I saw in round four because they went through the motions of being able to explain this complicated concept.
1: One acronym that debaters should remember, ARP average reasonable person, ARP. And that's what you need to be pitching your debate to. So adjudicators have a rule that they have to follow, which is called the discard specialist knowledge rule, which means if they happen to be a nuclear physicist and the debate is on nuclear power, they have to leave all of that specialist knowledge at the door. So when you're pitching your arguments, they have to be accessible to the average person on the street. And that comes down to everything, including definitions. So if you want to define the topic in a reasonable way, think about if I went up to the average person on the street and said what do you think this debate is about that is what is considered a reasonable definition not a tricky one that tries to shut out the other side of the debate so if your arguments use a lot of jargon and technical language they may be great but they're not accessible to the average reasonable person and therefore we may have trouble crediting those arguments
3: Furthermore, I think the adjudicator more than likely would also start to switch off like the average reasonable person would as well because they would go, I don't understand what's going on so I have no interest and therefore this ceases to be persuasive and engaging. It's not engaging because I don't understand it and therefore because I don't understand it, it's not persuasive because I can't engage with the ideas, I can't comprehend them.
2: Oh, I think that sometimes people try to push for arguments that they themselves don't fully understand as well and so it sounds really complex, but it's sort of not accessible to the audience or actually to the speaker because they have sort of difficulty in expanding on them when they when they pick an argument that's just too far from...
0: I'm now a little bit unsure because I've seen that happen in both ways. I've seen the opposition team, the opposing team, not understanding what the other team was talking about, so the rebuttals are basically, well, oh,
2: yeah. trouble.
0: Yeah. And then there's also cases where internally the own um, a team the speakers don't really understand each other's speakers. And that's a big red flag. If speakers don't understand the speeches of their teammates, it's even in secret topics, this is something you should be doing. It's a team sport.
3: I think there's three things to say to that. I think the first is this absolutely teams need to remember, they need to be clear, they need clarity. And that comes about from having a really strong topic sentence um, in knowing exactly what they're presenting in terms of individual arguments. Secondly, I think it's about linking back to the topic and making sure that even if you lead an adjudicator down a garden path of knowledge and ideas and really complicated stuff, that you're still able to, at the end of your paragraph, link back to the topic and say, this is why it relates to the debate. And thirdly, I think it also is being able to explain the relevance and explain the importance of particular arguments as well, because you can often make a smaller argument seem more insignificant if you're able to illustrate its relationship to the topic and explore how, although it might affect a smaller number of people, how that level of impact is much greater or how that level of influence is potentially something that's more concerning.
1: And a simple point that I'll just throw in is that it really helps if you can start the preparation process by thinking up the arguments yourself. A lot of people have the tendency to go straight to Google which is fine, but what I would suggest doing is that you think of the arguments first and then maybe go to Google to see if there's extra evidence or any holes or gaps that you might've missed. Because when you start out by writing your own arguments, Even subconsciously, when you present those ideas, you automatically sound more convincing and more persuasive because it's come from you, not some professor in Hawaii and what they think on the topic. So always start by writing your speech, write it in your own words, use your own vocabulary, don't throw in big words, and that'll instantly add to the clarity, even on a subconscious level.
3: Shout out to those professors in Hawaii that are listening in though.
0: (laughs) Can I ask a brief question to the room, though, on the topic of people just searching for, you know, argument and then running with that instead of doing it themselves? How many people, as the average reasonable person of adjudicators in this room, trust debate.org as a
3: source? Never looked at it, can't give you any information about it.
2: Have you been on debate.org?
3: Um, is that the one
0: that's kind of... I, I was know. more saying it just because it seems to be that whenever you type in anything plus the word debating, that's where Google will invariably send you. And it's, it's, more, it's more a bit of a cliche. It's just it's the overused thing. And, you know, you hear an debate, it's like, according to debate.org, and it's like, oh, okay, here we
3: Maybe go. Maybe we should just start a website that's debate.com.au and it just says, go and research this yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's, or it just, like, you know, has a stern picture of Mitchell or Charisma um, <laughs> saying, start with your own ideas first, chums and then, you know, it redirects them to, like, a little pro forma for writing out their own ideas. i are going to write
0: that down. That's a great idea. We're going to have so many um, debaters that don't get this charisma in-joke from all the adjudicators will go there and go, oh, I remember that adjudicator. Yeah, she was really
3: nice. Look, I'm very happy for the dad <laughs> to spend money on this. I think this
1: is a worthwhile cause. We'll put that in our suggestions book.
2: <laughs> but getting back to the original question of debate.org, I, I think that the internet, like, especially when it's, like, For those of you who don't know what it is, it's basically a platform where people can post topics and anyone can post an argument for or against. And I think that that's sort of problematic in a way because the internet is sort of a place that where basically you don't need to back anything up, you can just say it. And so there are a lot of very biased and also very unreasonable ways of arguing that appear on platforms like debate.org. And if you sort of just choose the one that has the most likes, it might not necessarily be because it's reasonable or because it actually addresses the topic in a fair way.
3: I think that's a really valid point. Yeah. Don't trust
0: random people on the internet more than you trust random people on the street. Yeah, at the end of the day,
1: is it appealing to the average reasonable person? Sometimes some of the stuff on debate.org might be sometimes it might not be um, it's up to you to work that out that's what i'm looking for as the adjudicator but in summary if you write it yourself you'll automatically sound more persuasive because it's
0: come from you you'll be more confident and pet peeve if you write it yourself you'll know how to pronounce the words in your speech
2: that's not always true
3: Nine times, nine times out of 10. And I think we'd be more willing as well because you will also, we can tell when a debater is being nervous as opposed to when they're, you know, reading a chunk of information that they've copied and pasted from Wikipedia or like the first um, journal article they found regarding a particular issue. But I'm loving all of this advice and feedback. Thinking ahead to next year, what do we want to be see to be improved? Like we've had five rounds of debates and some of us, if you've been to multiple regions, that's potentially, or oh, what, 40, 50 debates potentially. Mitchell, you keep a track of how many you've seen this year what number are we at
1: oh it's probably about 30 actually i've had a pretty quiet year relatively speaking i love um, how 30 is quiet really i I
0: feel like i've nearly hit 30 and i've had a busy year we have very different standards of success here
1: they rack up pretty quickly because you see two on a night but in terms of what i'd like to see improved responsiveness. And I've said it a lot and I know it sounds a bit boring, but it's the core of debating. And the more that you can work out what is the central clash in this debate, why are you on the right side of it? Don't avoid the debate. Don't agree excessively. Sometimes it's tactical to agree with the opposition, but don't do that excessively and really show me why you deserve to win the debate. And that always makes for an entertaining debate and one that is always fun to adjudicate.
2: I think I have two major things that I'd like to see improve. I think one is Yes, I definitely agree with Mitchell that there should be more rebuttal just overall. But I also really want to encourage the students to choose their battles carefully. I feel like sometimes there's perhaps excess of rebuttal or enough rebuttal in their speech for their speaker role, but it doesn't actually touch on the really important things that are raised by the other case, the other side's case.
0: I I think it's great talking about responsivity and responsiveness and rebuttal but there's also I think something that differentiates the really standout amazing teams from some of the other ones is how responsive their main arguments are too some of the worst debates I've seen is where you know the affirmative team will talk about something and then the negative team will rebut that in a way that it really closes the argument nearly and then you've got the second affirmative speaker trying to continue this train of thought in their main argument but they haven't really Acknowledge that the rebuttals happen, so it feels a bit dead in the water.
1: Yeah, it's uh, important to respond to the debate where it is now rather than where it was three speakers ago, and it's something I say a lot to third speakers who obviously just start writing their speech just a bit too early.
2: Yeah, and I also sort of noticed that there is sort of a very narrow range of arguments that are presented. When I see any topic, most of the debates do look quite the same. And so I think something else I'd like to see is really in the pre debate, in that preparation, like I'd like to see a lot more brainstorming. Um, A lot of the times I feel like hints of the best arguments are brought up as like a side thing, like as a side note when like really it had the most potential rather than going with just the regular arguments that are available online.
3: Yeah, I think it's always really good to to think of a diverse range of stakeholders and try to present the ones that are most impacted by that. I've got two things that I'd like to see improve next year. I think I touched on empirical topics before. I'd like teams to be able to respond to those better. Maybe that's something that DAV can provide in terms of training or provide in terms of more information. But I think educating debaters on what they have to do in an empirical debate and reminding them that they don't have to necessarily define a topic or they don't necessarily have to give a model, that it's really more a clash of ideas and should we do certain things, that's really important. The second thing that I want to talk about, and I know this is a small gripe, but I'm an old adjudicator and that is timing. I want people to stop before the continuous knocking. I think we're still heading down this dangerous track record of debaters thinking that they've gone into the continuous knocking to continue persuading, engaging the audience. I stopped writing 30 seconds ago. Be quiet, sit down. Thank you so much. I appreciated what you presented, but again, I I think it also ties into your point in terms of picking and choosing your battles and picking and choosing your responsiveness with your rebuttal, because if you can do that effectively, you won't go over time, or if you do go over time, you can wrap up fairly quickly.
0: Go, going back to that idea of picking your arguments, I think, and especially with D-Grad, that's something I'm always saying with rebuttals is sometimes, although we love our little arguments and their little, you know, ideas that we have, and we're so happy we nurture them like children. We, we, you know, sometimes we get attached. Oh, this is a great rebuttal. However, you have debaters that are thinking these are all great rebuttals, and they try and present five of them, and then they really condense their arguments because they know they're going to be over time so they rush their arguments they're losing mana points because it's too fast spoken they're losing all the other points because they're omitting details they're not really explaining themselves sometimes you just can't cover everything and what I like to say is I know you've got all these great rebuttals but you really just need to list them most persuasive to least persuasive you've only got enough time for what you have two or three and the rest you just have to make the unfortunate decision tear them off the bottom of the cue card hand it to your third speaker.
3: It's two sentences that the debaters need to learn. Ladies and gentlemen, and that is why we need to insert topic here. Thank you so much for your time. Sit down.
2: Yeah, I, I think with rebuttal, a lot of the time, third speakers would sort of come up to me at the end of the day, debate and be like, you know, why wasn't my score higher? Or, you know, we had a lot of rebuttal. Why didn't we win the debate? And a lot of the time, it was just a case of first second and third negative responded to the same argument brought by, brought up by the first affirmative without necessarily having any new expansion on that rebuttal so it was a waste of time to to repeat it at negative and so a lot of the time if you're wondering why you've met the time limit why haven't you gotten a higher score um it's possibly because you left the most important argument untouched but spent all your time repeating rebuttals that had already come before you
0: so in summary if you are returning to debating next year here's our handy tips for what you can work on be responsive keep to time and keep the rebuttals short and sweet
3: Or try and make sure that you pick and choose and that you're selective and that you're making sure that they're the best points that you can raise. Quality, Um, not quantity. Quality, not quantity. And also refresh your memory in terms of empirical topics. You can go to the DAV website to find resources and to get some more information about that.
1: Or just listen to one of my adjudications after an empirical debate. (laughs) Because I always explain two things, benchmarks and setting a criteria and when to use
0: them. I think we need more imperial topics. We need to give people the chance to practice.
2: And I guess the last thing I want to mention is sort of a lot of the times I hear arguments presented and I'm like, do you actually think that or could you actually see a reason why someone would think that? And so I really want the students to actually really think about why the topic is important to the stakeholders that they're bringing up and actually try to see why different people have different opinions so that they can give those clear links, just provide a better platform for the audience to get involved. Gauged.
3: I think that's a really good point to end on. But this is not the end of debating. This is not the end of debating. This is only round five. For a few select teams, they will continue on into the finals. Well,
1: I had a team ask me at D-Grade and they were a great team. Unfortunately they just lost that last debate and they asked if they could go through and I said unfortunately only the top teams in every region on top of the ladder get to go through because already it's a very long final series. Like, For example, did you know in D-Grade we've had 50 teams qualify in three playoffs. We need to get that down to 16 teams, which is finals, and then proceed from there. So we've got to get 50 down to 16 in just three debates.
3: Yeah, seven weeks of finals, a lot of pressure, a lot of travel as well, something to be reminded of. So some teams, for example, especially if they're from one of our regional uh, areas like Ballarat or Bendigo. Bendigo, Mount Eliza.
0: Bendigo, my condolences.
3: Yeah, they are potentially traveling very far distances to compete in the final series. And so you want to encourage and make sure that you're providing really positive feedback to the students because they might be very excited to continue in the finals, but also it might be, you know, a two, three hour car ride there and back again or, or more, you know, along the way. Is this applies to parents and teachers, not just adjudicators <laughs> being encouraging. I think the one thing that I'd also point out with for finals, if you've never experienced finals, is that when we reach the quarters, we actually enter into panels, which is something that I think a lot of debaters aren't aware of or are surprised to see. So from the quarterfinals onwards, we have panels of three adjudicators. No feedback is given as well. So there is only two steps that the adjudicators have to do. They just have to arrive to the decision and then they have to announce their decision. and then if the debaters want feedback, they can approach individual adjudicators. There's normally two types of, or there should only be two types or two decisions. Um, so the first is unanimous where all three adjudicators come to the same conclusion and award the debate to the same team. or you can have a split decision where two adjudicators nominate one team and one adjudicator splits, which is perfectly understandable because again, the average reasonable person and the average reasonable adjudicator, could be persuaded and in a very close debate that sometimes can happen. I think it's again just being able to justify your decision and being able to point out some clear decisions. So yeah, looking forward to panels because they're always a lot more fun to have two other amigos in the room, you know, battling it out and listening into the opposing teams and hearing what they find to be persuasive and engaging. Because I think that makes you a really good adjudicator as well. Hearing how other adjudicators have understood or been persuaded, interpreted, influenced by a particular debate or particular idea or argument.
1: And sometimes in the grand finals We've had five and sometimes there's even seven adjudicators all on the panel. So that also makes for an interesting discussion. I've seen finals, not in our competition, but in other competitions where it's been a panel of seven adjudicators and the result's been a 4-3 split. Ooh. And one thing I'll add as well is that each panel member is completely independent, and that really means independent. So you will get, if there's three panel members, three separate score sheets. You have to fill in your names on every single one, and then each each adjudicator will independently fill out that score sheet without deliberating. So it couldn't get any more independent than that. The adjudicators don't talk to each other. They just fill out the score sheet. And therefore, when you get your scores back, they may be different from each adjudicator. Fascinating.
0: Finals, very interesting, especially for some of the older children in the family. There's a lot going on there. For those that have younger siblings or just younger siblings generally, we are now moving into the start of the JSP competition. So as one door closes, another one opens. So for some of our younger listeners, you might be off to debate on your own if you're in year seven or eight. The JSP
1: is a very fun time of year, it stands for Junior Secondary Program and the goal of the program is to educate people on the process of debating without a really full-on serious competition. So in the JSP we don't have any ladders, we don't have any finals, The speakers will engage in three friendly debates with other schools in the same region. They'll get feedback from the adjudicators that will hopefully help them to continue to grow and develop as speakers, but also it's interwoven with training elements. So for instance, on the first night of the program, there's no actual debates. It's a training session presented by one of our adjudicators that will walk you through the process of debating. Then on night one, there is an exhibition debate where the adjudicators put on a debate to show you some of the do's and don'ts when it comes to debating, it's always helpful when you're learning to see someone actually partake and do it. Then on the second night of debates, which is round three or night three, we have an extension training session. And then for the final night, which is night four, you have a debate and then there's an extended adjudication from the adjudicator to tie up any loose ends and to wrap things up in the program.
0: So if there's three things I can say about JSP, first of all, if you get me as a trainer, please laugh at my jokes.
3: <laughs> we'll try, Alex. We'll, we'll always try. The second
0: thing is, and I don't think anyone's ever really going to tell you this, probably not at training, but the golden rule of debating is bring your own pen. And this applies to the first round of JSP. And the third thing is bring paper as well. There's a lot of note taking. We don't really have large pen for you to fill out, bring a pen, bring some paper because there'll be a lot of interesting stuff and if you try and commit it all to memory, you're going to be struggling. So for if any of you are about to start in our JSP program, pen, paper, and be friendly to your trainer.
1: Yep, you should always have a pen. It always
0: surprises me
1: when debaters ask me for a pen to fill out the score sheets and I wonder how they plan on writing rebuttal or in fact doing any responsiveness whatsoever, but we just always wait and see and hope for the best.
3: Amira, what are your thoughts on the JSP program?
2: I think it's a very fun time, and I sort of want to remind the students to actually see it as a fun time. I think that sometimes when you're just starting out debating and you're learning the rules, and I think some people take it a bit too seriously in the sense that, you know, they don't forgive themselves for getting a score that might be below the average, or they don't really try to engage with the other team because they're too centered around making the best speech that they can. It's really, really a time to experiment what's comfortable for you as a speaker and sort of definitely try to do like try all the speaker roles to sort of get an idea of what you do best at because sometimes what you think you're going to do best at isn't actually what you will do best at. Oh,
0: I started as a first speaker and ended up as a third.
3: Yeah. And now I'm an case. And, and look, if you can't decide, <laughs> always go second because you get to balance both <laughs> yeah. um, you know, responsiveness and also having the written arguments unfortunately, you just often end up with the detritus that has been left over by the first speaker. And by that, I mean the the, uh, less important argument, still valid, but sometimes the slightly more wacky, slightly more interesting topics that don't affect as many stakeholders. But yeah, I I like the idea of remembering that the JSP program is meant to be fun. It's meant to be engaging. It's teaching you. It's a training program more than necessarily a competition. So please have fun with it, enjoy it, learn from it, and then come back and do the skills competition or take the skills and attitudes and abilities that you learn in that program and apply it to other aspects of your life, whether that be an oral presentation in English or a written argument that you have to present in a humanities subject. I think that's one of the great things about the JSP program is that it's got skills that we teach debate or future debaters they can then apply to their own particular school context or their own particular classrooms.
1: And the process of writing and preparing an argument or even just speaking an argument without necessarily writing it is one that you can use in some cases every single day of your life. I argue with a lot of different people and the skills that I learnt in debating are invaluable in that process of sometimes winning.
0: Anything else we want to discuss in the last five minutes before we embark on adjudicating the final round for Caulfield?
3: I just want to wish all debaters my thanks for a really interesting year. It's always been debating. I've been doing adjudicating for a very long time now, and it's always a delight to see a really powerful, impactful, persuasive, engaging speech. I still, you know, it excites me and still I mean, entertains me. So I'm really thankful to all of the debaters that put in the time and effort to try and make this. Speeches as powerful and as impactful as they have been. The best of luck to all of the teams that are going into the finals. Relax, deep breaths. If you don't make it to the next round, that's perfectly fine. That's a learning opportunity for next year. Or if you're in A grade, that's a learning opportunity to then come back and do university debating. Or become an adjudicator, which we definitely need more of. For information about that, make sure that you check the DAVS website if you want to sign up to be an adjudicator and you're heading into your heading out of year 12 into the great beyond of high school. After high school next year,
0: I was about to say when you were talking about watching all the little kiddies take on the feedback and grow up, how many debaters have you seen grow up, get all the way to A grade, and then, you know, become I'm a, a great fellow grandfather adjudicator? now
3: in terms of like <laughs> adjudicators? In that I have adjudicated a team, that a debater has then become an adjudicator, <laughs> that adjudicator then has adjudicated another person, they have then become <laughs> an adjudicator, and I think that's happened for another round again because I've been doing this now. Oh, goodness me. Since 2008, so this will be like the 11th, 12th year.
1: At least I'm not the uh, oldest person here <laughs> now uh, on the first podcast I was, but I started a couple of years after that. But, yeah, really good plug for the adult opportunities, Jesse, in terms of becoming an adjudicator. You can register on the DAV website to do that under adults. Just sign up, and then we'll just send you when our next training programs are. For that, I just ran the first one of the season last night with a bunch of new adjudicators or Perspective adjudicators. It's so interesting to sit down and just talk for a few hours of me talking, which is always great, about the benefits of debating and understanding what actually makes someone persuasive and how to assess
0: that. Oh, and on that note, the office would be very disappointed in me if I didn't also mention our new adult program. So maybe if you you don't end up at uni and join a uni debating society, we are now running an adult program. Details are also on the website nearby the adjudicator sign-up. And that is something that you can also do if you enjoy debating so much you want to keep doing it for the rest of your life, like some of the people in this room.
2: Don't forget your manner. We didn't talk about that, but yeah.
0: Well, I think that's all we have time for because I need to run out and start a B-grade topic, I think, adjudication. So thank you all for tuning in to listen in for this, our third podcast. There's going to be a few more this year, hopefully. They're going to be targeted uh, mostly at the JSP competition because that's what will be going on. So especially some of our younger debaters, stay tuned for that. But otherwise, I will see you or you will hear me, figuratively or literally, at some point next year. Have a safe holiday, Christmas, and whatever happens between now and the next Schools Comp. Goodbye!